Hello, I'm Siobhan Morris. Welcome to the latest episode in UCL Grand Challenges podcast series. Today, I am in conversation with Professor Christina Pagel. Hi. Professor of Operational Research at UCL's Clinical Operational Research Unit based in the Department of Mathematics. And Christabel Cooper. Hello. Professional Data Analyst. So with support from UCL's Grand Challenge of Cultural Understanding, UCL Maths, UCL CORU and UCL's European Institute. In March, Christina and Christabel, with help from Uta Steiger, carried out a survey in conjunction with YouGov asking over 5,000 representative UK voters to rank four possible Brexit outcomes. Leaving with no deal, leaving with Theresa May's deal, leaving with a softer Brexit and remain. The findings have been fascinating, as you would expect. So the survey has shown that Leavers now prefer no deal to all other Brexit outcomes. 53% of Leave voters ranked at number one in your findings, more than twice the number of those who favoured Theresa May's withdrawal agreement or a softer Brexit. Could you perhaps begin by providing more detail around this and outlining some of the other key findings? Sure. So what we kind of wanted to do was focus on outcomes, where people want us to end up. So not thinking about the process, like not asking about people's vote or delays or the parties and how they're handling it, but actually saying, where do you want to be at the end? And in surveys that we'd seen already, people either ask kind of, do you want this or this? Or how much do you like these four options? And they wanted actually ask people to prioritise between them. So we thought, well, let's ask people to rank and actually see what they do want. So we found that Leavers did want no deal, but I should say that Remainers want Remain more than no deal, uh, than Leavers want no deal. So like something like 83% of Remainers rank Remain top. Interesting. And in fact, the ordering of the Brexit outcomes was entirely the opposite between Leave voters and Remain <laughs> voters. Leave voters want no deal, then they want May's deal, then they want softer Brexit, then they want Remainers bottom. And for Remainers, it was the opposite way around. So I think when we saw it, we're like, okay, there is still this genuine division mm. in the country. So as ever with Brexit, it's yeah. messy and complicated is the answer. Yeah. Uh, yes. I guess unsurprisingly, because the Leave vote wasn't a Leave vote for a specific option, Leavers were more divided, although just over half of them wanted no deal. There were a lot who wanted softer Brexit and a lot who wanted May's deal. So it's not as if they're completely united, whereas Remainers are still quite united. But then I think it's a clear option what Remain is. Yeah. Yes, and indeed, I think that's probably sums up one of the reasons that we are where we are is because leave was such a vague option and there were so many possibilities for it, whereas I think people understood what remaining actually meant. So, yes, this is why we're finding it so hard to find an outcome that pleases people. <laughs> yeah. Well, there isn't one. Well, yes, I think, I think that's probably really the conclusion that we came to, wasn't yeah, it? It was, yeah. yeah. Um, because, I mean, we had, we had a lot of talk about sort of soft Brexit, sort of, you know, mm. the Norway options, common market 2.0, and it's presented as, you know, we've got these two extremes and if you have a compromise halfway between, then that should sort of satisfy people. Yeah. But actually, I think our work was ambiguous about that yeah. at best. Yeah, definitely. I think we're talking about that a bit. I mean, I think the um, the only other thing I would say is that when we were asking people, we also asked them what they cared about and the importance of sovereignty came up again and again for Leave voters. Well, I think... When we started this, we started this project about a year ago. And it was funny because you were literally saying this to me the other day. We actually started off (laughs) 
with the idea that we were going to find lots of common ground between Libras <laughs> and Remainers. This was the entire yeah. point of our of our project. Yeah. So this was this is the a point that we called it the Unify Project. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I guess the idea of ranking, you would assume at some point the rankings yeah. will level out and you'll find some kind of commonality. Well, what we asked, if we wanted to get what people actually wanted for Britain. Mm-hmm. And we thought, OK, well, if we don't ask people about Brexit, but say, what do you care about for the UK? We'll find all this common ground of jobs, housing, public services, the NHS yep. and so on. So we asked this question. We had, you know, 12 different things. And it turned out that actually there wasn't this common ground, mm-hmm. that you do have about, you know, 40% of the population really, really care about sovereignty issues. They care about the UK having control of its laws. They care about independent trade deals. They care about not sending money to the EU in a way that I guess we hadn't really appreciated. And that came out much higher than immigration. And every survey yes. we've done, it's come out much higher than immigration. And I do remember when you first ran the results and you sent them over to me, I was honestly so surprised mm. that sovereignty was such a big thing for leavers that I honestly thought that we'd, we'd made a mistake, that we'd asked the questions wrong. But we've now run these results several times and the results just come back every single time. That this idea of the UK, as you say, having control of its own laws is massively important to leavers, whereas it just isn't so important to Remainers. And I think that lack of understanding about what really is driving some of the Leave vote is, is again, why we are in a bit of a, of a mess at the moment. Yeah, I think that's really interesting in terms of media portrayal as well of Leave voters especially and how they do tend to focus very heavily on it, the issue of immigration. But that, as you say, that's not borne out in your data. So no. there is a slight misrepresentation even yeah. of Leave in there that is sense. That half of Leave voters care about sovereignty and immigration and they kind of come together but about half of them don't care at all about immigration it comes really Mm -hmm. low and and they're kind of your kind of free market free economy Brexit MPs who say it's not about immigration we just want to be sovereign and I think a lot of people have kind of dismissed that as oh that's not being honest or that's not really what they mean or they're just saying that because they don't want to talk about immigration Mm -hmm. but actually I think they do that back quarter of the population that's what they want and it's not been helpful to dismiss that or to ignore it or to just make it about immigration. I think it, it just upsets people on both sides. And it hardens their views yes. as well because then they feel yeah. they're not being listened yeah, to even more. exactly. Personally, I felt one of the most striking findings shown by your analysis and write-up of the project is no deal was the preferred outcome of Leave voters from every socioeconomic mm. group, every level of education and every employment status. And that was true across all regions of the UK and across all supporters of the main political parties. Was that something that you were expecting when you undertook the work and what implications do you think that might have on policy going forward? I think it personally surprised me less only because we had done all this work on sovereignty before Mm. and no deal really is the only option that would give those leavers who really care passionately about the EU not having any control over laws or regulations. It's the only option that actually gives them what they want. So I don't think that particularly came as a huge surprise to me. I don't know about you, Christina. I was surprised by how many um, how many people wanted it and that it was just every group. Yeah. yeah. And I think that kind of really cut against this narrative, oh, it's, it's angry left-behind voters. It's not, it's everybody. It's, it's your rich pensioners mm. in Cornwall. It's educated university graduates in, mm. you know, I don't mm. know, wherever. But 
I mean, actually, one of the things that we found was that the more financially struggling you are, the less likely you are to want no deal. So again, that very much undermines, I think, a narrative that's come out of the left a bit of, you know, there are some people who have so little and that they have nothing to lose by going for Brexit. And actually, that's really not borne out by the data. Um, In fact, you know, Remainers are slightly more likely to be financially struggling than Leave voters. And a lot of the Leave vote does come from older people who often own their own houses or are in secure social housing mm. and have relatively decent pensions, certainly compared to the ones that sort of millennials are likely to get when they get to that age. So, I mean, I think it does undermine some of these very simplistic narratives yeah. that have grown up about yeah. what Leave voters want. I mean, I think the other thing that really stood out to us is this is like a matter of trust. So people who voted Leave and who wanted no deal just don't believe that it's going to have a bad impact on the economy. They just don't believe it. Whereas something like 85, 90% of Remainers think it's going to be a disaster for the economy. So the government and business leaders, trade unions and so on have been warning about no deal for a long time. But those aren't trusted voices for Leave voters. And as long as you have Farage, Boris Johnson... Steve Baker, the kind of the ERG group saying it's fine, that's not true, they're just saying that to scare you. The arbiters of information are different for the different groups. Yes. And I think that showed it really clearly. Mm, Actually, leavers think May's deal is worse for the economy than no deal. It's not only that they don't trust economists, I think they actively think that they're lying. I mean, that suggests that that they do, doesn't it? Do you think they understand what no deal is, what it involves? I think it's another blank canvas to be honest on which people paint whatever they want onto it they project onto it there is definitely again another sort of narrative that brings in the blitz spirits that's this Mm -hmm. idea that if we just go through this bit of hardship then we will get our freedom so sort of very much invoking kind Mm. of images of world war ii or even of a sort of almost independence movement where you've kind of got to overcome something, but once you've overcome it, you have this sort of glorious Mm. future of of freedom ahead of you. And, of course, you know, the problem is with No Deal is that no-one can say for certain what will happen. We are in the world of economic forecasts, and as people rightly point out, economic forecasts are often wrong. So it's very hard to say this will definitely happen when actually no-one can say this will definitely Mm. happen. I think it's not a great thing to sit there and say, do people know what it means? Because it implies that you know what it means. Yeah. As if, well, we've trusted these people and we're right. Well, actually, I don't know that. I just happen to trust a different set of people. And I believe them when they tell me no deal is terrible. But for me to say, well, I understand it and you don't, I'm not sure that is a particularly compelling argument for anyone. Yes. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about any geographical differences that were borne out in your findings? Well, there weren't there weren't that a... many. I think that in itself is quite <laughs> yeah. interesting because, again, that's been quite a key argument throughout a lot of coverage of Brexit and certainly going forward into yeah. future elections about how certain areas are expected to turn from traditional party politics and also that kind of split between what are seen as the metropolitan elites and cities and how they're tending to be portrayed in a different way to those who are voting, leave perhaps being in more so-called left-behind places or rural areas. Well, I I mean, it's definitely true that leave voters and remain voters have very different views on things. It's also true that 
there are differences by education and by age, by employment status. And those are geographically clustered. But I wouldn't say it's not because you're in a city, it's because these types of people are in cities. Yes, I think that's I think that's that's yeah. very that's true. And also when sort of people talk about a kind of north south divide, that's also incredibly misleading. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. for example, in the north you have big cities like Manchester, like Liverpool, like Newcastle, which voted remain. You know, whereas in the south, for example, you've got whole swathes of sort of more small town rural areas Devon, which Devon Somerset Cornwall. yeah exactly which all voted leave so I mean even in London actually outer London voted leave it was only 60 40 it's not like the whole of London no. voted to remain we've got these ideas that because a majority of people in a certain area did something that everyone in that area did something and that's not true and as yeah. I think Christina says it's about the sort of people that live in the different sorts of places rather than those sorts of places necessarily in themselves. Again, people perhaps neglecting the nuance, looking for easy findings and easy ways to understand what was a very, very complicated vote for individuals. And the clearest example of that, which drives Christopher and me nuts, (laughs) (laughs) is this constant thing of we've got to worry about Labour leave voters in the north and they're going to lose all their seats. Like in every single constituency pretty much the majority of people who voted Labour in 2017 were Remain voters. You can be in a leave majority area and still most of your voters which is about half the population can be Remainers. I think it's not been helpful at all in the debate that people constantly think that if you're in a leave area everyone's leave and they all vote. Yeah and when you go you have these sort of vox pops that go up there and sort of find some angry leave voters because of course that's what makes good media. The fact is, is that they're actually unlikely to be Labour voters. They are more likely to have been Tory or UKIP voters. But that's the message that comes across, I think, to many Labour MPs, actually, who understandably worry when they get, you know, hundreds, thousands even of emails from people. But actually, that's not... A lot of them will not be their voters. In the same way that the majority of Conservative voters in London will leave voters. So, again, like, so Conservative MPs in London their electorate are probably leavers, even in very Remain areas. And I think we just have to remember these distinctions when you're thinking about the impact on the parties. So that kind of drawing out of nuance from your findings is, as I say, fascinating. I wondered if you could perhaps explain how you've drawn out your results. So as you've said at the start, one of the, the headings that you've asked is, what do voters want from Brexit? Which is obviously incredibly hard question to tackle Um, but I wondered if you could maybe give a little bit more insight into how you reached the conclusions and how the data I suppose and the methods behind what you've been saying so far. We had three main questions that we asked people that were all ranking questions so one was asking what do you think the biggest challenges are for the UK over the next five years we had I think 12 options and it was things like um ensuring enough jobs and fair pay, tackling housing crisis, public services, immigration, control over our own laws, inequality, these kind of different things that we had tested out previously with both Leave and Remain voters to see if they thought A, they were important, B, that the language was neutral and not too kind of biased one way or another. And that was really to see, okay, what kind of society do you want Britain to be? What do you want the government to focus on? And that was to kind of think about, well, what do people care about? And then we asked four possible outcomes of Brexit, which is, you yeah. know, no deal, a deal, a softer Brexit and remain. 
what are your preferences there, yeah. rank them. And then specifically around sovereignty, because when that was coming out, it was really important. We wanted to break that down. And again, we tested this with mainly Leave voters. What aspects of sovereignty do you actually really care about? And I think then it was things like sending money to the EU, EU bureaucracy, control over laws, control over borders, pride. You know, is it yeah. actually a question yeah. of pride? So that's what we kind of did. And then you can use a kind of a standard mathematical method, which is called Condorcet ranking. But really what you're doing is you're competing each thing against all the other things and kind of one-to-one matches. And something that beats everything else in a one-to-one head-to-head wins. And that's kind of how you get from lots of people's individual rankings to an overall ranking by group. So that's what we did. And then you can say, okay, well, these are what, say, Tory Leave voters care about. These are the Brexit outcomes that they want. These are the sovereignty things they care about. And then you yeah. have a lot of demographic information, yeah. which you just get from... You pull um, from out from that. Yeah. yeah. So that's the kind of the method. The method and the madness. Yeah. And, and, one of, <laughs> and one of the other things we did, actually, is when it became clear that although, you know, you can make generalisations like most Tory voters are Leave voters and most Labour voters are Remain voters, there were lots of different groups within each party and within different referendum votes. So we then thought and developed a clustering algorithm to say okay can we group people by what they care about instead okay. of by party so we did that and we found there were like four main groups of voters in the uk and those groups have stayed very similar over the three surveys that we've done so right. you have what we call sovereignty conservatives people who care about sovereignty they care about immigration they're like your kind of classic well not UKP, but they, you know that's what yeah. they care about most of those people voted leave but not all of them people who cared about the economy as well tended to vote remain Presumably with great reluctance, Presumably actually. with great yeah. reluctance. Yes. And, and then you have what we call sovereignty liberals, people who really care about sovereignty, don't care about immigration, do care about the economy. Okay. Then your kind of classic left-wing voter, top for them is inequality. Inequality, then jobs, then public services, housing. They don't care about immigration, they don't care about sovereignty. And then you have your Lib Dem type, who care about the economy most, they care about jobs, care about housing and then inequalities in the middle so it's those kind of your classic they split about a quarter 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 in the population do you want to say something about the lexiters because yeah so the left-wing voters mostly vote remain but there is about 10 percent of them are lexiters your classic left-wing leavers basically their priorities are like left-wing voters they don't care about immigration and they don't care about sovereignty what they care about is inequality jobs housing but they think that well, I assume they think, given that they voted to leave, that they think membership of the EU is preventing them tackling those priorities. But what's interesting is that they are the group that is most likely to have now switched to voting Remain. Yes, because about 20% I think, yeah, of them. Yeah, so they, I guess they didn't have any sort of real emotional attachment to Brexit. They saw it as a means, perhaps, to a greater social good. And, you know, I guess now that the reality has not quite lived up to perhaps what they thought it was going to, are more likely to change their minds. I suspect it's more that Brexit is now being led by the far right, which may yes. well put... Yes, it is. Left of... <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> which, may well... <laughs> which may well put left-wing Leave voters off the project. But then having said that, only a quarter of them yes. have That's changed. what I was going to ask. So has your analysis shown voters changing their minds or instead simply hardening of existing opinions? So have any other groups shown significant shift? The sovereignty liberals... Some of them have switched. About 15% of leavers who didn't care about immigration, cared about sovereignty, have switched. Unsurprisingly, it's, high, it, it's the people who care about the economy a lot as well tend to yeah. have been the ones who switched. But sovereignty conservative remainers have switched the other way. 
Okay. Yes. That's something that isn't often talked <laughs> yeah, about. No. Is I mean, we have seen a drift in the polls towards Remain, but that's actually made up of people switching both ways. And actually, a large amount of the Remain gain is from people who did not vote yeah. for whatever reason. Perhaps they were too young or just didn't vote in the 2016 yeah. election. It's only about sort of 8 or 9% of people that are actually changing their minds either way. Mm. I mean, of course... You know, because the result was so narrow, actually it doesn't require a huge amount of people to change no, their minds yeah. to get a different result. But there aren't a huge number of people that we're seeing are changing yeah. their minds. And when we first asked last September about people changing their minds, yeah. and then we found quite a few had, and then we asked again in March, and very yeah. few more had. So the same number had still mm. changed their minds. But it seems like after checkers, yeah. people who were going to change had changed. And since then, it's been hardening and hardening. Christopher and I have talked about this a lot, and we think part of it is because now, after the referendum, a lot of Remainers thought, that's it, we're leaving. Yeah. And it was about compromise and perhaps mm-hmm. fighting yeah. for well, softer in fact, Brexit. And that was indeed the original aim of our survey, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, which it? is what we thought yes. we were going to do. We are going to find compromise, yes. And now we're here, <laughs> and suddenly, if you're a Remainer, it seems plausible that you might have a referendum and remain. And equally, if you're a Leave voter... If you always wanted a hard Brexit, the only real way you can get a really hard Brexit now, given the withdrawal agreement and the backstop, is no deal, Mm. even if it has a bad impact on the economy. And that's now in sight as well. That's still the default option if nothing else happens. And so now you've kind of got both sides see their ideal option is available. So the incentive to compromise is gone. And I think, interestingly, that is exactly what we're seeing in Parliament itself as well. Absolutely. It's truly reflecting... I mean, you saw it in the indicative votes... Yes. when exactly. the people's vote people refuse to vote for common market 2.0 yep. and vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I think Parliament gets attacked a lot for yeah. not doing anything, but they are very much reflecting the will of the people. So I think that's a bit unfair. In fact, you know, if anything, what they're doing too much of in my view, is kind of just reflecting opinion polls rather than acting as representatives and saying, okay, this is my view. I do feel slightly sorry for them because they are genuinely doing what the people want, which is a very confused mess. Of <laughs> <laughs> it is being confused, essentially. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, I think that is an interesting point, though, of, as you've spoken about, there has been a tendency to think about if a general election takes place soon, which is obviously now looking likely, then are a lot of Labour MPs going to have to change position to suit their electorate? And you've just given clear evidence that actually that might not be the case. So where do you see the policies of the major political parties going in the coming months? Are they going to know what they're doing at some point? <laughs> I mean, I mean, especially... Like, <laughs> that, that, that might be um, a bit too much to ask. But it's quite interesting because since we did the survey, the Brexit Party and Change UK have sprung up, not going yeah, you... quite as well as the Brexit Party. <laughs> You can see, you know, the Conservatives have lost support to the Brexit Party massively. And Labour is losing a lot of support, a bit to the Brexit Party, but also mainly to the Lib Dems and the Greens. And you can see that in the EU elections, and God knows what's going to happen. But the incentive for both parties to move to their base is quite high. Yeah. But the problem being, they don't entirely understand what their base is or it's just such a complicated base i think the problem in labor is that the leadership don't want what their base wants (laughs) just to be frank about it i think that's true and also they are genuinely worried about their northern seats i think either party which goes to adopts an extreme position is going to lose some votes yeah 
And Labour, I think, looked at the 2017 general election in which they fudged and saw that they did quite well. And, you know, arguably that was the right policy at that yeah. time. They didn't lose a large number of Remainers and they didn't lose, you know, a huge number of Leavers either. So I think their temptation is to just keep going with that approach. But actually, I think now you're starting to see with the rise of the Lib Dems and the Greens, they are starting to lose some of their... You know, two-thirds of their vote is Remainers. So, you know, you only lose 10% of that, and that's quite a lot of voters. You use 10% of your Leavers, and that's a lesser number than your 10% of Remainers. So from that point of view, Labour's interests should lie in moving towards a more Remain position. Mm. However, I think that there's just this real reluctance to abandon that policy of trying to straddle both horses, even mm. though, quite frankly, the horses are kind of now going in different directions <laughs> and, and Labour is looking like it is falling through the middle. But it does matter as well who the next Tory leader is, because if it is someone from the ERG yeah. who takes the Conservatives to kind of a very, very hard or no-deal Brexit, then you could see a more fudgy position from Labour kind of to try getting and, away with yeah. it to hoover up the people yeah. who really don't want that, of which there are quite a few still. So... It doesn't they wouldn't have to necessarily say what they're for. They could just more obviously yeah. say yeah. what they're not. Yeah. I personally think that the local elections, and we'll have to see with the EU parliamentary elections, are starting to fail Labour. I think, you know, we're, you're seeing really quite a lot of leakage now to the actively pro-Remain party. So I think that that served the party pretty well for a time but I can't really now that we are towards what hopefully will be the end game of this having a position that isn't very clear that appears to be cynically triangulating is I think something that's not really what people are really really wanting at the moment and I do think that they're in a much better position than the Tories because you know large numbers of Tory voters want no deal and I think the problem that Theresa May has got is that she knows very well that no deal or she believes anyway that no deal will be a disaster and can't deliver it. And she can't well, deliver, she or, well, deliver she could, it. Well, she could deliver it, but I think that that would damage the Tory party. You know, either way, it's going to cause huge damage to the Tory party. If she doesn't go for no deal, yeah. the Brexit party hoovers up half her votes. If she does go for no deal, the Tories, any kind of shred of reputation for economic competence is, is gone. And we know what happened after, you know, some 1992 yeah. with the Tory party. So I think that what's frustrating about Labour is that they could move towards their base with an option that is not going to destroy the country, i.e. remaining people's vote, whatever it is. Whereas the Tories, I think, whatever they do, are going to lose large, large chunks of their vote. And because they've got a leadership election definitely coming up this summer, yeah. and their membership is even more leave than their voters, yes. that's only going to pull them further yeah. that way. So yeah. I think they do have quite a big problem. Yeah. Because although there is quite a large proportion of people who really want that, it's only about 35% at most. That's kind of the ceiling for no deal yeah. in the UK. And, and, and that's not enough. Well, I don't think it's enough to win the election. So if there was to be, you mentioned a people's vote, if there was to be a people's vote on your findings, do you actually think there would be a clear shift or would there be a clear result one way or another? I don't think there would be a massive shift, no. I mean, you might have Remain winning 52-48. I wouldn't I mean, be I'm, surprised. Yeah. I don't think you're going to get a hugely decisive result. And I think that people who believe that 
they will and that somehow we can all come together around that are probably being a bit delusional. I yeah. mean, especially from everything yeah. that our research has shown is about how divided, about how yeah. differently people view things. Yeah. I think that that's going to be a really big ask. And if a main campaign doesn't make an argument for the sovereignty that you have within the EU, they'll lose. Yes. That's why. Yes. If you don't talk about what actually matters to Leave voters, yeah. it's going to be the same. So on that point about the kind of huge divides we currently have in the UK, created before Brexit, but certainly exposed by the Brexit vote. I wondered if I could ask what you both believe is the role of academia in universities in attempting to heal some of those and potentially attempting to understand the reasons behind them as well? I mean, I don't think universities are going to heal anything. And I think, I think part of the problem, again, is who trusts academics um, and are we a trusted voice or are we the metropolitan liberal elite? You know, I think yes. you have to own the fact that you're not seen necessarily as an unbiased uh, contributor. I think for me, it's about seeing what information is out there, the assumptions people are making when they write and talk about these things and saying, OK, well, can I test those assumptions and can we see if they are true? And if they're not true, what is that saying? And trying to understand where people are and not where you want them to be. Because obviously, I think, you know, you might be able to guess what we voted in 2016. It's not <laughs> like I don't have an opinion. But I don't think it helps me just mm. to try and come up with surveys that confirm what I think. That's no. completely pointless. Exactly. What I want to know is, what is it that I'm missing? What is it that I don't understand? Yes, yeah. and, and actually, of course, that doesn't help in a campaign if you refuse to understand, if you're only interested in your own point of view. It's very hard to change somebody's mind if you are simply sort of shouting at them from your little corner without sort of at least kind of going up to where they are and saying, I understand why, you know, your beliefs are this, but I think you should come over to my side. So I do think that, I mean, I hope that our work does contribute to understanding a bit more about why people voted in the way that they did. So, what next? What are the plans for <laughs> another collaboration, perhaps? Yes, so funny you Strange should Strange you should ask, <laughs> yes. But, yeah, just yesterday we have secured funding to do another survey. Fantastic. Which we're going to do, hopefully, the Tuesday after the EU election. And um, we're trying to do a few things. Firstly... We're going to ask people to rank the Brexit outcomes again from, you know, no deal to remain. But this time adding in questions about how strongly they prefer options to each other, because that's what we don't have now. We might say you can say, okay, I prefer soft Brexit to remain. But how much do you prefer it? How much do you care about it? So I think that will be really interesting because that will also give us ideas of how likely compromise is. Can you, Can you compromise? I think because the what we found was that soft Brexit was a really popular second choice yeah. for voters. Yeah. But does that mean that they would be OK with it? Or does it actually mean that they would really, really hate it? And I think, you know, sort of you've got some people like Stephen Kinnock, who are trying to put forward a sort of common market 2.0 um, uh, proposition and he's kind of saying okay let's be mature and adult about this maybe you can't get your first choice but you know in the end I'm sure most people will be fine about going to this soft Brexit but actually if we find that people are really really attached to their first choice then I think that does make that a bit yeah. more of a yeah. difficult proposition. And the other thing we're going to do is so after the local elections you had quite a massive change of seats. Yeah. And then you had people saying, this is a clear call for Remain, or <laughs> people voted Lib Dems to support Brexit. 
or whatever it happened to be. And people it kind was of, some very strange very analysis. Strange. Very strange. Yeah. It, it but, was very much fit to, to start yeah. off with your view and then fit the yeah. local results around so what, what you already did. So what we're doing is asking people how they voted in the EU election and then actually asking them whether they voted that way because of Brexit and okay. know what yeah. Brexit outcome they want. So we yeah. can actually say, OK, is this driving it? And people who didn't vote, we're going to ask them why they didn't vote and whether that was a protest vote to capture. For instance, are there Leave voters who stayed at home and protest. I think that's a really important yeah. thing. These tend to be pretty low turnout yeah, elections. Exactly. But yeah. it is expected to be a protest vote, so that should... Yes, we don't we don't capture. know, but but yeah. it's just that yes. I mean, you know, in a general election, you sort of get turnout of sixty five percent, seventy. These are thirty five percent turnout. Yeah. So, but you could imagine if you're a Leave voter who wants a deal, hates no deal, but hates how the Conservatives have done their negotiations. Who are you going to vote for? So you could imagine them saying, yeah. "I'm not voting," but I think they're an important constituency because they probably will vote in a general exactly. election. Yeah. yeah. So asking people about that, asking them about whether they're going to change their vote if there's a general election. And then also a lot of people keep saying people just want to get on with Brexit. So asking a few questions around, do you actually just want to get on with Brexit? And are you prepared to take any Brexit for it to stop? (laughs) (laughs) You know, is this true? Yes. Um, And actually, when you say get on with Brexit, what do you think that means? Because we did some pilot work that kind of showed that Leavers thought actually getting on with Brexit's no deal and Remainers thought getting on with Brexit was remaining. Yeah. So we want to kind of explore that a bit more. So it'll be the same size, same sample size? No, smaller. Smaller. Yeah, because we're not doing more complicated rankings or clustering, so we can get away with about 1,500 people. And when can we expect to see some results? Hopefully before the next meaningful vote. Yes. <laughs> so that's due, what, the week of 3rd, 3rd of, June. of June? As long as the date of that doesn't change. Yeah. So before that, well, if then, we'll do it for number five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't, don't. I'm not sure I can take much more of this. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, Christina and Christabel, thank you very much indeed. And we look forward to seeing the results of the next survey too. Thank, well, thank you. you very much.